0: You're listening to Bloomberg Law. I'm Michael Best with June Grasso. Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act allows the government to intercept the emails and phone calls of non-Americans who live outside the United States without getting a warrant. But when the government does that, it will also capture calls and emails made between Americans and the targeted non-Americans. Can the government use those Americans' communications in criminal investigations? The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals says yes. And here to discuss their decision and the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is the distinguished constitutional scholar from Harvard Law School, Noah Feldman, who is also a Bloomberg View contributor. Noah, welcome back to the program. Always a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh,
0: So are there any limits under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act to what the government can read or listen to when when they're intercepting communications by non-Americans?
1: Well... In general, the answer is no. If you are a non-American and you're outside the United States, then you're not protected by the law and the government can go ahead and listen to you. What was at stake in this case and what makes this case so significant is that it's not about communications solely involving non-Americans outside the U.S. It's about communications by Americans in the U.S., recorded by the U.S. government inside the country.
2: Noah, will you explain the situation a little bit, what actually happened?
1: Yeah. There was an investigation that involved a man named Mohamed Mohamud, who was eventually convicted of an attempted bombing in Portland, Oregon, on Black Friday of 2010 at a Christmas tree-raising ceremony. And as part of that investigation, the which incidentally uh, came out of a sting operation, an FBI sting operation. So as part of that investigation, the FBI had um, traces on communications of an unnamed person outside the U.S. It may well have been uh, someone with whom Mohammed was communicating in Yemen, but we don't know that for sure from the records. And the U.S. government recorded, the FBI recorded, that... Mohamud was sending emails from inside the U.S. to this person. The government then took those emails, read those emails, and brought them to a U.S. court and got a warrant to investigate Mohamud. And that led to the process, ultimately, in which he was um, stung and then arrested and sent to prison.
0: And what did the Ninth Circuit say in upholding his conviction?
1: The Ninth Circuit said that As long as the initial wiretapping, that is to say the interception of the communications, was targeted not at Mohamud but at someone outside the U.S., a non-American outside the U.S., then any emails by Americans written in the U.S. that the government happened to intercept and read were, quote-unquote, incidental to the initial investigation. And because they were incidental, they were – permitted without a wire, uh, without a warrant under the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution.
2: Noah, so Section 702 makes a distinction between targeted and untargeted surveillance. If the government is allowed to monitor emails of targeted non-Americans living abroad without a warrant, can that be done without happening to see an American's exchange with one of those people?
1: Well, it's definitely true that if the government is listening to the communications of somebody outside the US. Sometimes that person will get communications from Americans. I mean, that could certainly happen. And I don't think anyone disputes that if that happens, the government could capture those. The question is can the government then read them and use them as evidence uh, to commence or participate in an investigation against an American? Or does the government at that point need immediately to get a warrant in order to read that? And that's the, the essence of the question in the case.
0: Well, how, if if you allow this, if there's no Fourth Amendment problem with this situation, then how is it that courts can prevent the government from effectively doing a backdoor to get the Americans' communications without a warrant by saying, well, we know this American is communicating with people outside the country, so let's target them, and then we'll get this American's communications?
1: Yeah, that's the big risk. And I think there are sort of two ways potentially to solve that problem. One would be to say that... If the government, let's say, wants to spy on me and they know that I email with a person, I don't know, in the United Kingdom, and the government then goes and listens to that person's communications in the hopes of capturing mine, that they were really targeting me all along and that they weren't targeting the other person, that it's not actually the case that they were targeting them. The harder case is a scenario where the very reason that the government is interested in someone abroad is that they think that person might be talking to Americans. Imagine it's an Al-Qaeda recruiter. And our great worry is that that person might be talking to Americans. And the government then targets, quote unquote, that person and then says, oh, incidentally, we happen to have gotten all these communications of Americans. That's the really tricky case. And that's the case in which the court said it's fine and in which my guess is other courts of appeal around the country are going to disagree and say that that's not incidental, that the real targeting took place. Uh, at the level of knowing that there would be Americans whose communications would be sent.
2: Noah, in your Bloomberg View column, you suggest that this is going to end up at the Supreme Court. If it does, how is the court likely to view this?
1: That's going to depend on who the justices are when it takes place. And it's a great example of the kind of issue that may look extremely different after Justice Scalia is replaced by by a Trump uh, nominee because the, the closest question on this would be whether Justice Kennedy, as a swing voter, as he often is, would be on the liberal side of the conservative side of the question. I think the liberal side would be to say, no, they can't target, and, and that this would count as targeting, and the conservative side would be to accept the Ninth Circuit's ruling. So if this case were heard today, it might well be a 4-4 tie. But if the case is heard after a new uh, justice is added, then even it, then, it would, you know, very possibly go five-four for the government.
0: No, this statute is controversial for this reason and some others among people who are concerned about civil liberties. Is is there something Congress ought to do? For, I mean, you know, if you've got the court saying this is okay, is there a fix legislatively that Congress should consider?
1: Yeah, I think Congress could clarify Section Seven Hundred Two of the of the law to define what counts as targeting and what counts as incidental. And they could say, for example, that if the government is choosing to listen to somebody abroad because they think that there will be Americans communicating with that person, then anything captured as part of that communication shouldn't be treated as only incidental, but should be treated as, in fact, um, part of the targeting, and therefore would require a warrant. The question is, would a Republican Congress... Would a Republican president be likely to amend the law in that direction? And I I have to say that it seems relatively unlikely.
2: Noah, the Ninth Circuit is considered one of the most liberal, if not the most liberal. What was the panel like that it came out with this decision?
1: This was a, a panel dominated by Republican appointees. And it is possible that there will be a call for rehearing by the entirety of the Ninth Circuit. That happens a lot at the Ninth Circuit, more than in almost any other circuit in the country. And they have a rigorous internal process whereby judges who don't like a specific outcome will call for rehearing in bank, and then they have to vote on that. And so I think it's quite possible that there will be rehearing in bank on this issue.
0: No, one last thing in about 30 seconds. Do you think this is the kind of case the Supreme Court will take right away if it's petitioned, or are they going to wait for other courts to rule on it?
1: My instinct is that they will wait, because it may be that all federal courts of appeal agree with this position, they still might take the issue then, but the, the need to do so would be lowered. But it's more likely to be the kind of case for other circuits to say the Second. Circuit will come out the other way. And if that happens, then the justices have a circuit split, which is what they like to see before they take a case, because it means the cases had a chance to, as they say, percolate, meaning a chance for lots of different judges to weigh in. And that gives everybody a chance in the legal system to take strong positions and think it over. And in theory, it produces a better judgment by the time the Supreme Court gets to the issue.
0: Well, thank you very much to Noah Feldman, professor of constitutional and international law at Harvard Law School and a Bloomberg View columnist. Coming up on Bloomberg Law, we're going to talk about diversity at law firms. The diversity of partners at law firms is frankly not very high, and corporate America is concerned about it and trying to pressure law firms to promote more women and people of color into partnership positions if they're going to hire these firms to represent them. That's coming up straight ahead on Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.